Welcome back to Chad and Steve Have a Podcast. So I subscribe to literally hundreds of channels on YouTube, but really there's only one that I watch every single time a new video comes out, and that's Blood, Bath, and Beyond. For the past seven years, Jay Bond and his friends have been getting together to chat about not just horror films, but mostly low-budget indie horror and B-movies. You know, it's, there's kind of a niche for everything on YouTube. The reason we've invited Jay to be on our show, in addition to talking some horror, is to talk about the enormous challenges that come with producing content that's a little bit on the edge and that YouTube doesn't seem to really want to support. This is the stuff that kind of more and more channels seem to be facing. We'll talk about monetization, copyright issues, and more. And we'll ask Jay about running a channel while still holding down a day job. So please welcome to the show, Jay Bond. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. I was really excited to have you on the show because man, oh man, I, I love what you guys are doing over there. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fun talking about horror with your buddies, trying to emulate that like old feeling of watching horror on the couch with your friends. That's, trying, that's what we try to get across in our show, so it's pretty fun. I have been introduced to your fantastic channel through Steve and through Steve's love of it, and it's been a trip. It's been a trip, actually, to... Uh, to uh, and, and I, I, I want to start here. You might have the coolest name for a YouTube channel on YouTube. I'll just put that out there. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Where did it originate from? And a follow-up question, why do you not have a cease and desist order from <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so basically, at the time, like this was seven years ago, we started thinking about it like a year prior. Um, we liked Cinemassacre. We liked the name, like we watched Angry Video Game Nerd while going through high school and everything. And we're like, we want something that's similar to Cinemassacre. So we were throwing around trying to make up some kind of pun that has anything to do with horror. Uh, we couldn't settle on something like there was the cutting room floor, something like that, something to that degree. Uh, we had like the film cynics was one, but then we realized we didn't really want to focus on negativity. Yeah. So we changed that. Uh, we'll, We'll get into that probably later, but the, yeah, Bloodbath and Beyond was just one of those things that we're just like, this is perfect. We just kind of, there was three of us just in a group, just like on a patio one day, and we're like, okay, this is the one. We found out, unfortunately, later that it is the gun store in The Simpsons. That's right. Made, yeah, that's right, yeah. They made like one joke prior to, like, they, it was only ever mentioned one time before we had our show, but now that they have the app and they like the games... Now people are starting to put two and two together, and they're like, wait a second, there was already Bloodbath and Beyond, and then we found out there was more and more pieces of media popping up that already did the joke. And then people after us as well, so. Eh. It gets us some subs just based on the name alone, which is great, and I'm okay with it. Uh, the cease and desist, I'm ready. I'm, I have like a, a PR sheet like ready to go if the, that ever happens with a name change and new branding just in case. And I've had that. I've been sitting on that for like five years. Just, you know, I imagine it's going to happen as popularity kind of goes up. We get noticed by Bed Bath and Beyond. So long as I'm not selling towels, which I really wanted to, I think we're okay. I had one of your T-shirts a, a while back, and I, I, I would get comments on it from people, and usually it's because they didn't. At first, they thought it was Bed Bath and Beyond, and they're like, "Oh, are you wearing a Bed Bath? Oh, I see what it says." And then they would always ask. What does that mean? What is it about? And it was always fun wearing that shirt because the logo is spot on. And you, you design, I'm sure you designed that yourself. You, you're a graphic yeah. designer day job? Uh, yeah, I'm a UX designer now. So I was in web design. I did graphic design for about 15 years prior to that. And now I'm doing UX. So I kind of figure out where to put buttons on stuff. If When Facebook introduced the like, like that's what I would do kind of thing. I still do a lot of design, obviously, running a YouTube channel. I'm sure we all have yeah. our hands in the pot for that. So mm -hmm. it's nice to have a little graphic design background for that. And how how does that work with juggling your day job with running the YouTube channel? Because you guys produce quite a bit of content. And I would imagine, like, for every review, film review you do, I mean, you have to watch the film. I presume you and John and, and whoever mostly watch it together. And then yep. the review. So... 
we have a pretty strict shooting schedule. We shoot Tuesday nights and basically all of Saturday. So we try and bulk edit on Saturdays. Tuesday, we'll usually do like a Patreon something or other, whether it's a commentary or something that, or maybe even just a longer movie. If it's a two and a half hour movie, then we'll do that on a Tuesday so that we don't get burnt out on a Saturday. So we kind of do it that way. Um, and then working a day job, I mean, I just told my boss I had an appointment for this podcast so (laughs) i just didn't even mention this but there are certain things where it's like it is challenging um obviously i wish i had more time i could produce more i wouldn't feel as burnt out sometimes as much many youtubers experience burnout it's really tricky like i was even streaming at one point for five hours after work and also editing youtube and filming youtube and working a day job thankfully due to some support we, I am able to take off like a Tuesday during the day so I can do a lot of my editing then and uh, try and get some peace of mind throughout the week so it doesn't feel like an absolute grind all the time. So let's go back 1,300-some videos ago. Uh, and God, that's a lot of videos. really impressive. Yeah. And uh, just uh, kind of talk a little bit about how the channel came to be. So essentially, we used to hang out in high school and watch old B-movies. Uh, me, my buddy Trav, and my buddy Andy. Andy was kind of in like a, a slump a little bit, and he was going to school for writing, and he wanted to try and get something off the ground as far as like creating a film. But because he was kind of on this low, we're like, we need to get him doing something, because if he just slips into depression, we need to like try and help him out. So we thought about doing a podcast with him. Um, unfortunately, when the day came to actually come over to my house, he just never ended up coming. Um, but we based, we wanted to create this for Andy, and he just like never made his way out. And we're still friends with him now, but like I just had to do a quick call. Like uh, I have somebody in the area. His name's John, <laughs> and I got him over to fill in Andy's slot. And John wasn't a big horror fan at the time. I mean, me and him had watched horror movies prior, but you can see even watching some of the, like the old reviews, like our knowledge base is pretty minimal. Because, well, I have been a horror fan my whole life. Um, Some of the other guys don't have the same background knowledge of horror from watching it from, like, being a kid. So it was kind of an interesting transition to kind of swap Andy out at the last second. And it was supposed to be a podcast, but I Hmm. was kind of, I was a rapper at the time. And I was shooting my own little music videos. And I'm like, well, why don't we just throw a camera on a tripod? And we did that. It, we failed m- miserably doing it. It was, uh, we were filming Sharknado. <laughs> and we're like, why don't you come back next week? We'll see if we can get Andy again. He didn't come the second time. Um, but Trav and John also had cameras. And we're like, well, why don't you guys bring your cameras? And we'll do like a three camera shoot. So we did start off doing like cutting from different angles. And it was a disaster. We canceled that really quick. But it started as a podcast for our friend. And Andy still hasn't been on the show, but he shows interest. That's at crazy. least now. It seems like he's like, "Oh, you've been like brushing shoulders with some of these people we used to watch in the movies that we went to, like we watched after high school." And now he's kind of interested, and I'm hoping we can finally get him out one day. But yeah, you've had you've actually had some of those um, actors on your show before. I remember when we had Jessica Cameron on there, yeah, and that, that was, was a lot of fun and. You and John just work really well together. I mean, the two of you kind of, you have similar tastes, but in, but you also have your, your own separate kind of approach to it. John seems to be real interested in the filmmaking aspect of mm-hmm. movies, and, and his critiques kind of seem to come a lot from that angle. Yeah, he went to school a little bit, um, did some film. I'm not exactly what extent, I don't know what programs he went to but he does have film knowledge he is a teacher as well um and he's in communications so he covers graphic design film photography and all that so he's constantly doing research and just is genuinely interested in filmmaking so it is nice to kind of bounce that off so i play the dumb guy the dumb drunk guy who (laughs) is more typical of some like buddies on the couch like having a couple of beers so I get a little bit off the cuff and I <laughs> I say some sometimes vulgar things that maybe I should have kept to myself but I think that's part of the charm is you have 
him to rein me back sometimes. He's <laughs> he my baby. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. he's my babysitter at conventions as well. <laughs> I so know. it's nice to have a friend that like we're actually like really really good friends. We see each other all the time. We like watch wrestling. We watch horror movies. We just watch whatever together. Yeah. And so it's really easy to just have that immediate chemistry. <laughs> yeah, I know. I met you guys down in in Texas, at Texas Frightmare, and, and John <laughs> oh, was yes. like your big brother. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of funny. Your channel basically ticks off all of the boxes. You know, you have to upload a video. It's like, okay, does your video have violence, gore, Nudity. sex, language? You're like, yes, 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 yes. Do you have to, you check, yeah. I'm sure. And so it's basically you're checking, don't pay me for this video is what that is. Yeah, usually like the second level of those little checks. Yeah. Um, which comes in the form of censorship to some degree because yeah. now that like we didn't have this before before it was a shot in the dark you upload something and you don't know it's like oh well that got demonetized and even prior to that like there wasn't even demonetization before it was just like oh this is 18 plus just like turn it off or turn off monetization altogether there was no way to appeal that process and now at least there's some kind of loose guidelines so i know that i can show nudity if it's blurred or I can show blurred nudity, but it's demonetized, which is not something I knew before. But at least there are some structures. But the censorship comes in when you know those and you keep that in the back of your mind. So when I'm making my editing choices where I used to be all willy-nilly showing whatever I possibly wanted, now it's like, well, if I want to try and make even a couple bucks, like there's no way because showing a blurred boob will still get you demonetized, which is weird to me considering I, of what I actually see that's monetized on YouTube that's not horror. So content. it's a bit of a catch-22. You, <laughs> you end up in a position yeah. where it's the place where it's the biggest audience and where you can reach the most eyeballs, but it certainly has its own restrictions. So were you an early adopter with Patreon? I'm sure Patreon's been quite helpful for being able to have fans support you in a way outside of just watching the videos. We weren't the earliest, but... It's been probably about three to four years now. I think th maybe three years. It has helped definitely for sure because it is our income from YouTube. Because YouTube, we basically make next to nothing on YouTube now, unfortunately. And that comes in the form of a few different changes that happened. Steve, I'm not sure if it would have affected you because your channel was already big at the time. But when they introduced the notification bell, it wasn't auto-opt-in. Yeah. Mm. And which is unfortunate so we had uh, probably like 50 to 60,000 subscribers at the time that now just like if they weren't opt-in for notifications or and now there's like multiple levels to the notifications right. like this too too bad they yeah. need to which is kind of shitty the algorithm changes as well so at the time we were keeping our videos shorter and then they all of a sudden wanted long form content and then there was the certain 10 minute threshold for ads and it's just like going through all these changes over the years is frustrating in itself for an older channel that was trying to grow in like a pretty niche content and now it's like it's really tricky i wish like it's hard to make money i think unless you just happen to get that reddit boom and yeah. you go to the top because there are people that are very successful that show graphic content dead meat james yeah. fantastic creator and he's on like youtubers react and stuff like he's got it um and then there's spooky rice who does only disturbing movies again i think he's about to hit 500k or something like he just kind of skyrocketed out of nowhere um so it it is possible to get sponsorships to make money but I think it matters on when you got into the game and if you stayed relevant in recommendations because we are currently just like completely removed. I have an analytics where we are on a trajectory up and then overnight it just stopped. Wow. And that, so that it was views, obviously monet, like money. So we went from, like, I'm not gonna talk about financials, but we're probably a tenth, on, a tenth of what we had uh, as far as revenue is concerned. And that's with the and that was before mid rolls even existed and stuff like that. So do you know what it's kind, kind of crazy? Do you know what kind of CPM you get on your videos? I don't know off the off the top yeah. of my head to be honest because I don't even pay attention anymore because I know that we're gonna make maybe a couple bucks on an upload. Like it doesn't matter. It's gonna be so hampered by the advertisers who don't 
regardless of the context of the content, they just don't want anything to do with blood or gore or whatnot. So you end up already being in such a small category. And yeah, the challenge was when they introduced the notification bell, you had to be like, hey, ring the bell and then click the little arrow and make sure you click all notification. And you know, your calls to action, your video are now 10 minutes long telling them how to use the notification bell. Do you think it was also hampered by the fact that you were just clearly checking off these boxes? So therefore, even though you were already at the back of the line, now you're even further behind because Absolutely. they clearly have no interest in getting behind that type of content. For sure. And you can see that through social media in general. If you search horror on Instagram, it's blocked. It says like, hey, are you sure? Because we know that horror content is dangerous to you. Like, do you need help? Like, here's a suicide hotline. Yeah. When you search the horror movie hashtag, just just horror on Instagram. And it's just like, well, if that's what Instagram's doing and they're showing us what's happening in the back end of YouTube that they're not showing us. Yeah. Because they've got a lot more things going on than we know. I mean, Obviously, like, we try to understand as much as is possible. Like, you can think about an algorithm, but the way that we think about it and the way that it's actually working is probably so different. Right. Um, yeah. And they'll never be transparent about it because they can't because people abuse it. We've seen that when tag systems came in. People just, you know, SEO stuffing their descriptions. And it's just like, okay. They just want to reserve. They want to keep things held back a little bit. And so, unfortunately, it's kind of tricky to get up in the game as f- if you're already behind. Uh, I've seen new channels that do the exact same content with maybe the same description, same title that are booming. So I don't know what has happened with our channel specifically. It is, I've always puzzled over that, why some channels seem to be given a pass and others don't. And yeah, you're right, on like Instagram, they do the blurred, this may be sensitive content. I'm like, it's fake content, it's not real. And so there's like, YouTube has this idea of kind of society in general. It's, It's okay to show real violence in the news and real gore, but if it's make believe, that's somehow bad. It's just so weird. Do you think that, which do you think is uh, more clamped down on on YouTube? Is it the, the sex or the violence? I, th- I would say that it's the, I don't know, that is really tough. I think yeah. the violence is harder for whatever, like, because they, I don't know if you've seen, like, um, how Google, like, checks out what's in a photo. Like, you can yeah. access that. I forget what it's called. But they're they're scanning your whole video. Yeah. But it's harder to see a bloody body hidden in a pile of leaves (laughs) like when they're scanning it to determine what the hell this is it could be rhubarb pie or something you know like you don't know what that is but a boob or a dick that's pretty easy to notice when you're scanning (laughs) through it's easy to yeah so i think the nudity is the biggest issue because i've also noticed like i have a few videos that are 18 plus and it's not the only ones that are 18 plus are ones that had nudity, even if blurred. So not based on um, just like all like my kills. Sometimes I do like the top 10 kills or something. It's not necessarily based on the gore. Uh, but again, it's really hard to know 100%. You never know. So how do you find that balance now? Do you care? Or are you like, I'm in for a penny and for a pound. So like if, if they're going to do this, I'm going to give the viewer the best possible experience and use as much context footage as possible if I'm going to get dinged for it anyways. It, it's a little trade-off. It depends on what we're covering too because usually we'll only show a bunch of that stuff if it's an older movie. So if we're doing a retro movie, I don't care. I don't plan on making any money. This is for our subs. The chances are we're not going to get any auxiliary traffic from search or anything because nobody's searching a 40 year old movie for review if they didn't want to see people just showing all of it and covering every everything in the movie so if it's a new movie we are a lot more reserved now uh not only just because of youtube but because we understand how the filmmakers want a review to kind of play out Mm -hmm. and we're here to uh, uh, basically help when we can um, if there's an indie filmmaker, they've been putting their life's work into this for three years. It goes through a, uh, like a festival circuit. I don't want to spoil everything out the gate. And the only way to show kills is by showing, you know, their cast die. So it's a little bit of give and take when it, like I'm, I'm pretty good at 
making judgment calls like that. Like if I know that it's going to be a new movie that people are likely never going to watch and it's just fun to riff on, then yeah, I'll show a lot more. But it never has anything to do with uh, money. And neither does the length of the video. Like I know a lot of people are like, oh, if it's 10 minutes long. Well, now it's eight minutes, I think. Right. But yeah. like, oh, they're just doing that to make more money. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter. If I... If I if my videos start to get a little bit longer, it's simply because I want to keep in a, l- a little bit more of our personality, which I was cutting for several years to try and fit under that. Like we tried to have everything around seven minutes because that was the sweet spot for us when we were gr- growing. But now it's like some of our videos might go 13, 14 minutes, which is double. And it's like it's only because we're allowed to be a little bit more playful now without – and people will still watch most of the videos. So. so it's not because Dove is giving you an extra three cents for that extra ad that they put in the middle <laughs> of your video. No, never. I mean, it, if I was getting paid more than like a dollar an upload or something, then maybe I'd uh, take some liberties and cut some stuff. But I doubt it. Like that's why Patreon exists, like so that we can offset the income from YouTube um, and provide the same kind of content that we have for years. I mean, it's so refreshing to hear somebody who's just putting out content the way kind of YouTube started, people wanting to make the content because they loved what they were doing. And just to see that and just to kind of say, well, screw the algorithm. I'm just tired of trying to play this game and then just put out the stuff you like to put out. You must have like copyright claims on half of your videos when you post them. Is that... Is that a problem? Or is that getting better? Is that whole system working out better? The system is actually way better than a lot of people make it seem. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't know how to use the copyright system correctly. So when they get a claim, they freak out and panic and think it's a copyright strike when in actuality it does nothing except take your revenue. I've fought and won over 800 claims on our videos. It's just part of your process now, probably. Yep. And it's, it never happens on upload. Most of the time it's like six months later. Hmm. Whenever a master file like is now uploaded to YouTube movies, then that's when they get hit. So there was a big time where I fought like dozens a day when YouTube movies became a thing and everybody was uploading their libraries to YouTube. It was like, oh, okay, now we're doing the, the scans of all the, for copyright material and then you're just fighting them. And so long as you go through the proper process, you know fair use, you know where you lie in fair use because there's some things that I know like, yeah, maybe this could act as a substitute for the original content. So maybe I'm not even going to fight this one because it's not worth it. I only fight the ones where I know 100% that if we went to court at some point, I could win. Hmm. Um, Or at least have a fair shot. Chances are that's never going to happen. But I go through the steps because there is like four steps, four or five steps before you're even like faced with legal issues, which I don't think people realize. Like there's a back, back and forth. A lot of it gets blown out of proportion when you see it on Twitter or videos like, oh, my channel's getting taken down because I got one copyright claim. It's like, dude, I deal with that every single day. I've never had a copyright strike. I had one for 15 minutes, and then I threatened legal action because it was way out of left field, and they didn't like a negative review. And it's like, okay, you can't just censor me like this. So I'll go to court with you. And so that was against Fear, Inc., and I thought that was a pretty good review anyway. Like, I like that movie. Oh, yeah. Um, but whoever it was, I think it was like a German distribution company that was dealing with it, didn't like the amount of footage that we showed. And it's like, I own the movie. Like, this is well within my legal rights to use this content, so long as I'm just showing short clips. Like, I don't try to overdo things, unless it's like an older movie. And then it's like, mm, maybe I just won't even fight this one. Do you find a lot of YouTubers in the space for people who are getting into uh, doing movie reviews and whatnot don't fully understand how to actually use some uh, like the uh, like taking the amount of footage that they take from a movie and i i've always wanted to maybe kind of do those types of videos but never did because out of fear of like not understanding it and i and i know some channels like red letter media and whatnot will sometimes even just use the um the commercial or the trailers and just footage from the trailers because mm-hmm. it looks like we don't want to get involved in any like using the wrong type of footage that might not you know sit the right way what is your kind of like rule of thumb or what would your advice be to people who are like confused about how you can use footage from a movie in a in a youtube video my rule of thumb is try to keep things around four seconds in length if there's a scene that's extended dialogue 
I'll make sure to cut it accordingly so that it looks like it was never cut. Just doing invisible edits so like I could take a minute long scene and trim out certain things so that if something was scanning this, it wouldn't see it frame by frame and know exactly that this was ripped from a movie. So it's all about either using shorter clips or stringing shorter clips together to make something cohesive because you want you have your own narrative that you want to show. And so I take a lot of pride in knowing the beats that I want to choose in my videos so that, I mean, especially if we're extending the length of our videos, I need to be on and make sure that people are staying focused and seeing what we're talking about. So that's important too. I think a lot of people just throw a bunch of footage on and it's not relevant to their talking points, yeah. which is going to bite them if an issue does come up when it comes to copyright because you use it to... T you need to be able to say that you're commentating like on this specific aspect of this specific movie if you're using a lot of different footage. Um, just use shorter clips and string them together better. Last de December, I posted, I have a second channel where I posted my top 10 movies of the year. And this was my first experience with a copyright claim. So I had, uh, and I included clips and they were all from the trailers, you know, just short little clips as I was, cause it was, you know, I'm trying to cover 10, 15 movies really with my, you know, honorable mentions. And I got a, they were all fine, nothing, no problem except for one. At the very end, I mentioned Queen's Gambit on Netflix and Netflix had a claim just for using a bit of the trailer. So I guess you'd probably be better at explaining this for anybody who's thinking about doing some sort of reviews or using copyrighted material. What is the actual process and what happens from the very first point where you get contacted by somebody who says, I, I'm filing a copyright claim. Can you just take, kind of take us through that? Sure. So your video is monetized and they issue a copyright claim saying you have our content. You have the option to either ignore it and they get all the money um, and you just, that's it. Or you can dispute it. If you dispute it, you have the opportunity to choose. Now, thankfully to YouTube improving this system, you can choose exactly what you're disputing for. And there is something for fair use. So you select fair use, make sure you understand fair use before doing this because you don't want to get yourself in trouble in the long run if you start lying at this point. Make sure that you're covered by fair use. Look it, look it up reviews, commentaries, lots of different transformative work. Like there's a lot of, it is all like kind of a big gray area, but you'll know if you're in fair use. From there, the company can either agree with your dispute and be like, oh yeah, that was an automated process. We see this now, you're in the right and they'll drop it. Or they will reject it and say, no, no, no. You're, you're, this isn't fair use. Or maybe they don't even understand it or don't care and are trying to scare you off. So they will deny your dispute. Then from there, you can appeal their rejected dispute. So it goes back and forth uh, four times. When you appeal, this is when you put your channel at stake by risking getting a copyright strike. Because this is the point where the company can say, either okay now we agree that this is fair use and we'll drop it or they say no we're still right but we're issuing a, a dmca takedown and that's when you get your strike from here you still have the opportunity to appeal the strike as well so it's not this kind of like fast and loose oh my god my channel's getting taken down you need to go through the process for quite some time and most of these companies they have 30 days in between each action mm -hmm. so it could last a few months before they even get back to you and get you that strike so if anyone gets a copyright claim one day chances are they're not going to get a strike the next it's usually not how it works but it is a pretty solid process and you have lots of opportunity to kind of step away if you start to question whether your content is worth fighting for. I always say yes. So I I always risk going for the strike because I do believe in my content and I, and I do believe if it was presented in a court that I would win. And so long as you have that mentality and you're confident what you're doing goes by the legal fair use or fair dealing in Canada, there's two different laws. It's important to understand what each does. Um, but so long as you know it, like it's absolutely dispute. There's no reason not to dispute at all because there's, there's no downside.
Like they either drop it, and a lot of them do. A lot of them are just like, oh, they think this is fair use. Okay, maybe our our uh, algorithm just kind of screwed up or whatever tool they're using to kind of scrape for content. And it's probably worth it for them just to reach out anyways, because a bunch of people will just be frightened that they're getting a strongly worded, you know, uh, warning and they'll just take their stuff down anyway. So mission accomplished, whether or not there's a an appeals process or not. Exactly. And I do see that with a lot of new YouTubers that are in the same space as us that are just uninformed. So they freak out. I even had somebody that's been on the platform that I watch all the time, Spooky Astronauts, reach out to me the other day because... I love her content. She's excellent. Like yeah. She's one of my favorite creators, and she creates so much stuff. But she reached out about a copyright claim. So even somebody who's like up there in subscribers and has a ton of content still might not exactly understand the process um, or completely knows what the actions are to take to, uh, to kind of get rid of this company. I mean, there are certain companies that you can you can dispute that will just never let it go. <laughs> Paramount and Universal are the really? two. Paramount a little bit easier. They've let a few of mine go, but Paramount or Universal is definitely like not even worth it. So trailer reactions and stuff that we did that were Universal, I just take down cuz or I set to 18 plus so they don't get the money either. <laughs> so <laughs> which is a little sneaky thing. Paramount, they've got uh, Friday the 13th, right? Yeah, which is not necessarily why we haven't covered the series up until, like, this week, basically. But, like, it, you do kind of keep that in your mind, which is a little frustrating. Even though I don't necessarily, like, trim my content and make sure that it's, like, ready for ads, there is always something in the back of your mind, like, oh, it's a universal. Like, when you see that logo pop up, you're like, well, not making any money on this. And it like it matters anyway but it does like kind of it's just another little thing that kind of kicks you down and it it i don't know it it hurts it's painful even though i know that it, it doesn't make any difference at the end of the day to me at this point i think it was universal music group that also was one of the big ones with the, the all of the music claims and whatnot so i think just as a company they just clearly don't <laughs> like youtube uh, or anything on it uh Let's talk about a strike for a second. How many strikes have you gotten, and how does a strike work? So you get a strike, and what does that mean, and how long does a strike last? Uh, I've only had the strike, like I said, for like about 15 minutes, and I think at the time it basically just you couldn't schedule uploads, you couldn't do live streaming, um, you couldn't have custom thumbnails. I think some of this has changed now, but I got that resolved within a couple hours, and I haven't had one since. I bet you were panicking at the time, though. Oh, absolutely. Because I also know that I think in order to get the plaque at 100K or a mil, you need to have no strikes on your channel. Mm-hmm. You you can't ha- have had one. We're playing a little safer right now. Do you now. have a spot already picked out for where that plaque is going? Uh, I don't know. I'm not too sure. It'll probably just go in like a glass case beside my... Michael Myers mass or something <laughs> just so like when I walk in my house I can see it and you know just appreciate it I was gonna put it up right here so I can kind of while I'm editing and getting a little bit you know you can get down when you're editing and it's just like seems so draining look up and maybe okay this is what I'm doing it for a <laughs> hundred thousand people out there exactly where I put mine I put mine right beside my monitor for those endless hours of just sitting and editing and wondering why you're doing this and all I needed to do was like shoot my eyes over to the thing it's like oh that's it because I wanted to get the bigger version of yeah. that plaque so that's exactly you know one of the things I like about I, the horror community I guess it's true with a lot of different communities on YouTube but the horror community is I think it's just so cool that I, you probably have more insight in this than I do, but it's like this, uh, you know, it's like a, a secret club of people who all speak the same language and you're not afraid to just go ahead and you recommend other channels, other channels recommend other channels. And so it's really nice to see that it's a great community to be part of. Absolutely. There's not, there's not a lot of rivalries. I mean, sure. When people get, you know, focused on the numbers they could think differently of certain people but it's never been that way with me or a lot of the people that 
I'm familiar with. I have no issue collabing with somebody or shouting them out because we all are trying to, we're all doing the same thing. We're talking about what we love and it's great to just find movies. Like that's the best part about doing this kind of content is like finding those hidden gems. That's the best thing. Finding an indie movie made for 50K that I would have never heard of unless a couple other YouTubers were posting it on their Instagram or talking about it. Um, so it's pretty nice. I do. I do I've discovered so many movies that you've recommended on your show that I would have never have heard about it because these are not Hollywood productions. These are these are in a lot of cases just micro budget films. I mean, these are real shoestring budgets. It's like, hey, guys, I've got a camera. Let's make a movie. Once in a while, a gem will just appear out of those. And it's really exciting. And everybody who's doing horror YouTube, everybody has a different take. And so it's not like you're all doing the exact same thing. Everybody has, and you mentioned Spooky Astronauts, and she actually inspired me to last week do a live stream on my channel because she does this Instagram live stream where she talks about, I think it's like horror trivia or something or, or um, movie trivia. I forget what exactly she does. And I thought, hell, I could bring that into woodworking. So I did like a woodworking trivia show on my channel. And so it was really cool to That's just awesome. know that it came from this Australian YouTuber. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really cool. You meet, you meet a lot of friends along the way that ha have different ideas and you can work it into your own content and you can even snowball it with like doing like tag videos where it's like, oh, I'm going to have 10 questions yeah. and I'm going to tag somebody else. And then it just kind of goes through the motions and it's fun. And you get to meet a lot of people and then that translates into real life, going to conventions and meeting up with everybody. And then you strengthen those bonds. And there are like people that I've known for years since we started the channel, uh, both creators or just fans um, of the same kind of movies, like reviewing the movies Pork Chop, a very low budget West Virginia backwoods yeah. slasher movie. I'm still friends with a lot of like the actors and stuff when we reviewed that because we were like the first people to ever even talk about that. So it's nice to even just like talk to them now and see what's going on in their region because there are so many movies being made, uh, like you said, by just a crew picking up a camera and getting out there. But unless you're going, unless you know exactly where to look, maybe you'll never even find them. And so it's really important. I think Twitter is essential and Instagram for sure. And then when it comes to YouTube, a lot of the reason there's a lot of camaraderie is we understand that like when you're looking up a review for something, you're not looking up one review. You're not taking this guy's opinion is the world. And we understand that. It's like mm -hmm. you want to watch us and then go watch 10 other people. We I do the same thing when I'm looking up video game reviews. So it's like sure. there's no reason to be hostile. I love being able to kind of just talk about horror with all types of different people, fans and creators alike. So you have over a, a, a thousand videos, you've been doing the Bloodbath and Beyond for uh, six years now, I believe. In October of 2019, you're like, heck, let's do another channel <laughs> and make more content. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And you decided to do mid-card maniacs. So now you're definitely speaking my language. I'm a huge wrestling fan. Um, so awesome. great job on the channel. Um, how has the audience kind of uh, transitioned? Do, do you actually, are there a lot of commonalities between the horror fans and wrestling fans? Or is it, uh, is it a bit of a stretch to get them over to that side? Uh, to some degree, yeah, there is. There's a lot of crossover. And you can even see that in some of like the most popular current wrestlers you look at people like the fiend or alexa yeah. bliss and the way that they're going into these dark rabbit holes and horror has always been a theme from the boogeyman and even kamala way back in the 80s like there's always been some kind of horror element that people are inherently they, they like that kind of stuff like the undertaker and kane some of their stuff especially in like the mid 90s or the uh like the attitude era you're just like this is amazing i love this stuff and so trying to transition our audience is a little bit tricky because whether people aren't seeing the videos or they're just not sure if they want to subscribe to a wrestling channel if they don't actually watch wrestling so there are a lot of people that have seen wrestling they might watch wrestlemania every year royal rumble but they maybe they don't want a bunch of wrestling videos popping up in their feed 
and that's understandable completely. Um, but I think there is a lot of crossover, and it is fun to kind of talk about horror and wrestling at the same time in certain videos. So, like, doing top ten lists of wrestlers that would make for great horror movies. Like, wrestlers that you could really see being a, a villain in movies. You know, we you see movies like See No Evil that stars Kane. Kane, which yeah. It, which is so fun and it's like well who else could really do something like this and it's always fun playing with that uh we even have like a series where we are doing uh basically fantasy booking making our own horror movie from start to finish and booking wrestlers as all of the people all the different stereotypes in a horror that's a blast that's that's pretty fun the editing on that takes so long so we've got a lot of episodes that I need to edit and I've sat on for like a year. Uh, one of the things that I really loved about the channel was, you, so I'm an older wrestling fan. I remember the Undertaker coming out and being like, this is the most metal moment in like wrestling history. This is really going to, like, that like was truly scary because we hadn't seen something that was so, like we had seen Kamala, we had seen maybe even like Papa Shango or whatever, but like, this dude like just there was just something which was completely different i remember them panning the kid the kids faces in the crowd and they're just like oh wait hold on this doesn't seem like the old wrestling yeah. show that my dad took me to anymore now there's this huge dark undertaker coming down um so i i, I can certainly see how um that would actually uh, attract that audience one of the things that i loved about the channel was and you mentioned this in the trailer was you wanted to help older maybe older wrestling fans like myself become acquainted with new wrestlers because it's very it's very difficult now because everybody kind of either uses their real name or something that sounds like their real name so almost all wrestlers kind of have like a, hey it's darby allen it's the da doo so everybody kind of had like there's no more like undertaker Hulk Hogan. right and, and uh, so and especially with uh, the new promotions and whatnot um that was that's been excellent i watched a few of the videos and now i actually know a lot and i can talk to my nephew who's a huge fan of AEW, and i don't sound like that guy who's like do you remember jake the snake roberts because right (laughs) (laughs) it is nice to see him basically every week now AEW has been definitely a big reason why we started this and like you mentioned it's like a lot of people just like me were diehard wwe wwe fans for so long i didn't even look to indie wrestling didn't even really know it existed i know there was like some shows would pop up in the area and stuff and you see the flyers at a pizza store but you don't necessarily go to it but now when you start to realize wait sometimes they book some they book like rvd or something just around the corner it's like oh i really wish i went to that and then so you start diving into it and much like horror digging through the crates for indie films you find all these indie wrestlers you get attached to them so i watch a lot of indie wrestling as well and then once you see them show up on one of these bigger shows you're like yes finally seeing shotzi blackheart arrive in nxt it's like i've been following her for years on the indie scenes and now she's she was in the royal rumble and it's like what so there's things like that and aew is kind of the same they bring in a lot of tna or impact people from back in the day and it's nice to see them every week every wednesday you don't need to be just on the one show you don't need to be on the big show to get coverage anymore and now there's anymore. a wonderful space for people who are just tired of that style and just want something different and they have huge pops to to welcome them on the other side and that's that's the best thing about it's always been the best thing about wrestling wwe made it so that it was accessible for everyone and we all have to thank wwe for what they did however i think we're in a place now where it's much healthier because there is competition and there's uh, there's there's an alternative place for wrestlers to go to be able to like be heard or or like maybe like not just have to fit into the corporate structure of wwe absolutely so uh, like we have some bio videos on the channel where it kind of introduces you to some unfamiliar wrestlers to some, or maybe she's really, like, for example, Leva Bates, the librarian who barely gets any ring time in AEW these days, but she does have a big track record, and she has been wrestling for so long. And so just doing little bio videos, same with, like, Darby Allin. It's a great, great character. I love... I love a lot of AEW's character work. It's it's really fun. It's something different. I look forward to every Wednesday night. And talking about it on a new channel is also a nice way to break up the consistent grind of horror. 
Because if you are watching horror movies all the time, you're thinking about horror, you can get into some dark places sometimes, especially when I cover some, like, <laughs> disturbing videos. So I even have a third yeah. channel that's now just disturbing content. It's the extreme underground. Yes. And yeah. so... Love it. I love it. It's like, sometimes you just need to, like, hang out with your friends, even if it's the same friends, and talk wrestling. We already watch pay-per-views anyway. We may as well do a predictions video and just snowball some ideas of what if this happened. And I think that there's a lot of people that can get behind that. And being able to talk about multiple promotions or even create lists that incorporate multiple different promotions so that if you came for the WWE, maybe you'll learn something about Impact or AEW and maybe this could act as a gateway to you checking it out. And so that's really fun, too, because I have seen a lot of people that come from Bloodbath and Beyond who knew WWE, who are now diehard fans of AEW. And we've only been doing it for like a year now. And to see even a couple people like that, it's like awesome. I love that. I mean, that's I, I think it's fun for me to watch it because I just got into wrestling just a few years ago. And, and especially talking to Chad and he kind of we all of a sudden I was, I was the guy about that Steve had for the longest time in his life who he could be like, let's talk about wrestling. But do you know there was a total crossover between horror and wrestling and a lot of these and a lot of these wrestlers had been in horror films like Kane like you mentioned and then now when they've got Bray Wyatt and The Fiend on there it's like oh this is awesome and Tom Savini did the did the head the mask you know for that which is really cool and so yeah there's there's a lot of crossover and you know one of my favorite types of videos you do are the extreme underground videos because you know we're all desensitized at this point, you know. So, yeah, a little bit. I think that on your channel, your most viewed video is Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. And why do you think that is? I think it is because people either are desensitized or don't want to watch it themselves and they want to hear. They hear something <laughs> floating around on the internet like, what is this, a Serbian film I've heard about? Yeah. Oh, I need to figure out why people are so afraid of this movie. And so... I started just doing reviews of them, and then it now it's transitioned into just basically talking about everything, like beat by beat going through the entire movie, showing you all the disturbing stuff. That's why I spun it off into its own channel now, because I don't want to create more of that content when we're sitting at 96K. You're so close now. Why? why no, not risking it. I've even contemplated taking them off of the main channel, but again, they're like some of the reason why people have been driven to our channel sure. in the first place. When you look at like our top 10 videos, a lot of them, like there's human centipedes in there a couple times, yeah. um, Cannibal Holocaust, a few different other disturbing movies. It's like, I know that that's why people are at our channel, whether or not they transition over to Extreme Underground, who knows, we'll see. I need to put more work into that, but it's tough managing two channels let alone three at the moment so i've kind of put that on the back burner for now i just i love cannibal holocaust actually it's it's i think it's groundbreaking that movie and it but it's super hard to watch you know you've got to really yep. kind of know a little bit i i and this is probably a case where it probably does help to know the film before you watch it or know what you're getting into <laughs> yeah just there are especially if you have some kind of traumatic past for certain things, like some of these movies are pretty tough to deal with. And I've experienced that myself watching a few movies that it's like, Ooh, that hit really close to home. Maybe I knew somebody that experienced something similar and it's just like, Ooh, like you it really resonates with you. So, well, I don't necessarily do trigger warnings. It is important for people to like, kind of maybe skim through, see what, what's going on here. Cause I know there's a lot of people that don't like seeing animals, being killed like yeah i think that's the there's like a animal a cruelty cut of cannibal holocaust that takes all those scenes out yeah I, I, i'm kind of down with that yeah that's good because the, the turtle scene in that is just something else it, and it's disgusting um but it does add to like the sick nature of he, just people going in and invading somebody else's space like the the whole story of cannibal holocaust is fantastic big fan it is There's, it's a message to that movie and it's a really it's you know it's about the media and about how we think of violence and yeah do you have a, a set of goals or a plan for what the channel is or at least bloodbath and beyond is going to become or grow into or do you just like it just being in a sandbox that you can play in whenever you want and it's just an open book that's pretty much where we're at at this point. We had some goals, but when I saw that graph, 
just nosedive, it's like, oh, you're never getting out of it. And as much as we've played with content and tried to keep up with trends, I don't see it kind of going much like in a higher arc anymore. Like I think we'll slowly grow over time. So it is nice to just kind of have something to do. And especially during COVID, you know, it's, it's nice that like me and John are really isolated. It's unfortunate that we don't have a bunch of other friends coming over and watching stuff, but we don't have necessarily goals. It's just keep doing what we're doing, enjoy it, and uh, just cover some of the older movies that we're finally getting to re-explore after several years. It's nice to just talk about those things. I think there are future goals for Midcard Maniacs because I think that we're going to be less suppressed, not only being a new channel, but talking about something that's more advertiser friendly. But we're also just like, we're not thinking about that monetization. We're not even monetized on that channel yet. But there are goals for that, and we'd love to explore like gaming content and just see where everything goes. We've experimented a lot there, so it's nice to just kind of play with content at an early stage on a newer channel and see what people react to, see what's fun for us to do, and just keep trying to grow a new brand that could be successful in the future. I think that's so awesome to just to see that there's still channels on YouTube who are doing it because they absolutely love doing what they do. and. I mean, for me, it's just been a blast. I hope you keep doing Bloodbath and Beyond as long as you can, because I, I love it. And I've been over there on, on supporting you on Patreon, I think, since since you started that thing, <laughs> because I just, I, you guys need that um, help over there, because YouTube is not, does not like this kind of stuff, or, you know, they don't want to pay you for it, that's for sure. It seems that way, so I do appreciate the support. It's been Patreon has been crucial to at least having a little bit more motivation to do what we do and to not limit us as much because if I wanted to make money on YouTube, I'd be unboxing iPhones, you know, like (laughs) I'd be doing a tech channel. And I think that's a good way to just kind of people sometimes think like you're just in this for the money. It's like, trust me, if I was in this for the money, I'd be doing something way different and not pigeonholing myself into thousand dollar movies you know like i'd be doing something way different um so i do appreciate the community that we've grown and of course the support from people like you as well it's just it's wonderful to just keep doing what we enjoy doing and with that i want to thank all of you for listening to this episode of chad and steve have a podcast oh by the way if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review over there and, you know, rate us, give us a five-star review or five-star rating. That goes a long ways in helping get this podcast some exposure. We'll see you next time.